Welcome to the Primal Canadians podcast, where you can learn how to solve sophisticated problems with primal wisdom. And now your hosts, the Primal Canadians. Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Primal Canadians podcast. I'm your co-host Lucas Steves and today we're digging into the backstory of my very good friend and co-host Thomas Kleinsasser, or as we lovingly call him around here, TK. So TK, hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do and why Primal Canadians? Why Primal Canadians? Great question. Um, well, I've adopted this primal way of living uh, some some three four years ago in my uh, quest for um, uh, better health better uh, higher spirit and uh, strong stronger me better me every day and I went back to this primal lifestyle and that's uh, I guess how you and I crossed paths just over a year ago so what do I do today I uh, have a company called Incline Performance where I uh, do personal training and health coaching so helping athletes uh, become uh, better at their sports as well as helping individuals overcome injuries and then as well as chronic pain and uh, overcome a lot of the um, health issues that we're seeing in today's world. It's kind of a pretty, pretty big um, mission that I'm up against here, but I've, I've taken this on a little while ago and uh, I love doing it. I love doing it. It's brought me so much for my health, for uh, my family's health. Uh, I live here in Calgary with a wife and uh, a kid on the way now. And uh, some of my brothers live here in Calgary as well. And uh, my family and back in southern Saskatchewan, they uh, they love it. They're, uh, they, they haven't been this healthy since probably since they were kids. They're on this whole program with me to uh, being primal. That's awesome. It's a really powerful mission that you're on. And it's a really important thing to get out into the world to get people on this health track and everything. Before we get too much into that, you have a really interesting backstory. You had a really interesting childhood, and I'm curious to have you tell us a little more about that. Okay, so where I grew up was in a Hutterite colony. So for those of you who haven't heard of that, it's a community of, you know, somewhere around 100 people. When we get uh, bigger to like 150, we split up. So we live in small communities uh, where we're very self-sustainable and kind of live off the land. We, we do farming. We have animals like pigs, chickens, cows, and uh, we, do, uh, we do our schooling at home. There's someone that comes out to do schooling. So just growing up very structured life. Uh, there was a service every day. As a very, it's a very religious-based community. So we have a church service every day and... Yeah, I grew up uh, working a lot with my hands and farming and gardening and all this kind of stuff. And uh, sports were kind of controlled as it was a lot of stuff was pretty strict. So we loved uh, playing like baseball was our big sport. So we'd always find a way to sneak behind the trees to play catch and stuff like that. So that's yeah, that's kind of uh, where I grew up on the Hutterite colony. That's pretty fascinating. You know, I've known a couple of Hutterites over the years, but what fascinates me about you is that you're not part of the colony anymore. And that's kind of an interesting story of itself. Why don't you tell us more about that? So it, uh, it was a personal choice uh, that I made around age uh, 17 to leave. My first choice was to leave around age 17, so, um, which wasn't exactly encouraged. So it, I had to uh, 
set up in a little mission of uh, uh, sneaking away or, or escaping uh, is what I called it back then. And I had partnered up with a buddy of mine who was kind of on the same terms, wanted to see more of the world. So we partnered up and found an old tractor on the farm to go into town and find a payphone because there was a phone in the colony, but we had no access to it. So we'd take a vehicle to sneak away and get the job lined up. And uh, we had someone just come and pick us up during church. And that's how we, uh, that's how we left. And then we had, we went and started working and uh, sustaining ourselves, making money to, uh, to try and uh, become, li live in the outside world is what it was then for me. <laughs> that's incredible. So you, you basically had to run away from your own family at age 17 with no idea what the world was like. It's basically what I did. Yeah, I had, uh, I can't remember. I may have had $30 in my pocket. I had the clothes on my back and I, I did, I remember packing a bag. I'm not sure what was in it. I probably had a toothbrush and an extra jacket or something. I, I didn't really have much when I left. That's incredible. That's just wild. I can't even imagine the mindset of having to do something like that at such a young age. So after you left the colony, then you're, you're out in the world on your own for the first time, I assume? Yeah. So the first time out into the, the quote-unquote real world, and you're lost. So what did, you, what did you do from there? So, well, I actually, I had a lot of, um, a lot of stability. So I had an uncle who had left. So he, was, he, he had been out of the colony for 17 years. So I reached out to him. I had his phone number. And I was able to get in contact with him. And, and he helped me out uh, tremendously as my boss was, was great as well. He, he took me to the bank and he took me, me and Mike, my other friend was Mike. He took us to the bank and he let us open a bank account. And then uh, I called Uncle Ken and he, he helped set up as my, my uh, social insurance number and this kind of stuff. The bare necessities that you need, like the health care and all this kind of stuff that I never really had before, including like birth certificates. So uh, I, I really had nothing when I first left. Wow. Is that ever fascinating? I just, like I said, I can't even imagine the mindset and the mentality and the things you must have felt and experienced during that time. What I'm interested to know now is I, I can't imagine you had this whole primal mentality coming out of the colony. I, I can't imagine living your best lifestyle was the top of mind uh, when you first left. So tell me a little bit about how you used to live at that point in your life. Well, at that point, it was just kind of kind of whatever, like pretty young. Anything goes. It's all about fun and adrenaline, really. So uh, anything that, you know, not, nothing really concerned about health, you know, cold came along. It's just part of life as, as, I, as I thought, you know, flu, tonsillitis, all this kind of stuff. I, I thought they were just a part of life, really. I thought drinking pup was the norm for a treat and, and you know, eating cake was, was the way, you know, to have. It was just, just part of life. I didn't know there was a difference in, in, in a healthy lifestyle and an unhealthy lifestyle. But uh, expanding uh, and seeing different cultures and getting into sports more and, and seeing some different things with my body is really what opened me up to like, okay, what's, uh, what, what are we doing here and what's, what's missing? What are we not doing? It's out of a closed society into a toxic one, hey, it sounds like. In, in many ways, that's <laughs> kind of what it is, yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. So I know that... Uh, 
for a time after the your after your time in the colony, you spent a lot of time traveling. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? How did you pay for travel? How did you you came out of the colony with thirty dollars to your name, and then were able to go travel the world? So fill that gap for us. Yeah. So so learning to manage money has been has been a, a beast in itself. I, <laughs> I I guess I could say. So at first, I didn't make a lot of money. Uh, the first year I made enough to pay rent and eat food and maybe buy a case of beer on Fridays or something like that. Um, if I'd saved up for a few months, maybe I can buy like a TV or uh, I didn't really have a lot of money then. And not that I really needed much either. But then when I turned 18, I went out to work on the rig. So it took a little bit more to to have a vehicle and to uh, sustain myself a little bit without, without uh, any other stability around me. Um, but luckily the rigs paid a lot of money. Sure. And for and those who don't know, the rigs are the, uh, drilling rigs. So oil rigs, uh, big telescopic, uh, um, derricks essentially that drill into the ground to, uh, harvest or to, uh, mine oil, gas, this kind of things. So that's, I spent, I spent a few years on those, um, you you get uh, it's it's big it's hard work it's long hours you go away for a long time which gives which gives you the time off like so typically what I would be working is a few weeks and then I have a week off so you get that little bit of freedom mixed in there with it as well uh, which which helped open me up open my mind up to some things and I realized that if I saved enough money I was able to take a few months off and go traveling so that started for me when I was 24 I uh, booked a trip solo down to uh, Costa Rica to go to uh, I didn't go with my backpack just to go traveling I wasn't ready for that yet so I booked myself into it was a school that had uh, surfing uh, yoga learning Spanish and uh, what else was I doing there yeah just kind of surfing Spanish yoga and uh, scuba diving right that's where I first got uh, certified for scuba diving Uh, really uh, crazy ocean it was over in was on the Pacific side. So it's one of the more intense oceans to dive in. Like everything's dark and sharp and gloomy, especially going on a bad day. It's, uh, it, can be, it can be quite the dive. So anyways, um, that's, that's where I really began traveling and uh, spent some time there and then went to Mexico and then came back and I used the rigs to support my, uh, my traveling lifestyle for a number of years. That's incredible. So pretty much living the 24-year-old's dream, eh? Going, hanging out in tropical countries, diving and surfing and doing yoga and all kinds of stuff. I'm jealous. Yeah, I, I really truly was. I should consider myself blessed for that. I, I really was. I had uh, good friends and I met some, you know, you meet some characters out in the rigs and I, I kind of found like a little, a little, found myself a little bit, you know, like opening up and uh, you know, started buying rap CDs and listening to, you know, like kind of going into uh, something a, a young guy enjoys doing. <laughs> the oil field is good for that. You do a lot of soul searching out there on those cold, lonely nights. So you escaped the colony. You went and traveled for a long time. You really started to get in touch with yourself. Now, Tell us a little bit about how you got into fitness and how how you started going down that route. Well, uh, after a few years on on the oil field, in the oil patch, on the drilling rigs, uh, I'd I'd get sent out to jobs that I didn't really like the place. I didn't really, I guess it's like shitty old town or something. I didn't enjoy it. So I really started questioning my career choice. 
Um, as well, I, I also I met a few people that weren't happy. They were they were not young anymore, and they weren't happy with what they were doing, and they weren't they had had their mindset in a position where they couldn't shift. So I was like, I knew I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, what else can I do? Um, I had no idea. Everything else I knew was with my hands. So I did a few construction jobs and I knew that wasn't for me. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going back to school. So at that point, I lived in Calgary, where, where we currently live. So I went down to Bow Valley College to upgrade my uh, English and math and all that to get into a program. Not really sure what the program was yet. I just went to start upgrading. But going into school is when I, you know, I was sitting at the desk and I had been moving and working all my life. I needed to start something new. So I was like, I'm going to go check out this gym. So there was a little gym right down by the school and I went in and I started Googling some programs that I could do some weight, moving a little bit of weights and doing the cardio machines and that and uh, get sweaty and whatnot. When I first started getting into the gym by myself, I, well, I got a little bit of movement in and I was also able to join new conversations. Hey, I go to the gym. Uh, but it was uh, when somebody asked me to do a CrossFit workout is when I really got, um, got into it. It was, uh, it was pretty fun. I practiced it for a number of years doing CrossFit. But uh, my, my love for sports grew a little bit more. I really enjoyed mountain biking and snowboarding. And then when it came to do that kind of stuff, I was always sore from my CrossFit workouts. So I just kind of dropped CrossFit. And I began training more sports-specific to become stronger, uh, become a faster runner, uh, inc increase mobility, and just be better all around as an athlete. But some of the training regimens I had subscribed to didn't really quite work so well. I always tended to be broken or injured or was battling from something, like even burnout and that kind of stuff. So I began questioning because um, I knew from, from sports, like there's certain athletes that have a tendency to be injured and there are certain athletes that never get injured. So I kind of was trying to start exploring that gap there. Like what's, what's the difference? What are, what are the different rituals or the different things that they do that, uh, to, to stay, to remain healthy? So that's how it started for me in, in sports and, and body mechanics. Right. And if I remember right, you lifted weights competitively at some point, right? Yeah, I, I did Olymp I've been practicing Olympic lifting. CrossFit took me into Olympic lifting, kinda, and then I got really, uh, really onto Olympic lifting. And I did, I did some competitions with it. I didn't do it for very long, but I'm still around it quite a bit. It's my preferred way of doing heavy lifts: is uh, the power clean or the snatch or something like that. I, I, I still love doing those lifts. Yeah. Right on. So you've told us a lot about your interest in sports and athletics. At some point your focus started to shift a little bit and you started leaning a little more towards nutrition. Why don't you tell us about that? So I think the big moment for that one was, uh, it was during the time when I was actually preparing for an Olympic lifting competition that I had a set schedule. Um, most of my other sports, it was when I, when I had time, when I wanted to have fun or when I wasn't when I was able to do it physically. But when I was training for this Olympic lifting competition, I had a set schedule and on days of training, I had to train. So some days my body wasn't ready for it. So I was going into like pretty serious, like burnout and fatigue and 
these uh, I had injuries showing up in my back and shoulders that I just couldn't fully work out. I was always working on trying to keep the injuries at bay while trying to get my sleep and then getting the right pre-workout to be able to make it through my through my lifts. And then one night I'm out casually for a bike ride and I was riding around with my bike and I had a little fall and I hurt my back really bad. Like I stood up and there was actually blood coming out of my mouth and I, my air was knocked out of me and I got a little bit freaked out. And right away I called a good friend of mine who was an athletic therapist. I was like, I got to come down and see you right away. I'm not sure what I did to myself. And I was a little bit freaked out because my coach had just told me, and make sure you don't do anything else. You can go for a light jog if you want, but you got to lift next week. <laughs> so I went outside the boundaries there. But I, I knew then for sure there was a missing link. I told, I told someone else about it. It was a chiropractor. And he said, yeah, come on in and we'll get you a whole food plan put together to, uh, so you can fully recover. And I'm thinking to myself, like, are you even hearing me? Like, I have an injury here. I'm not asking you for a food plan. But it kind of sparked something with me. It's like, does food really have something to do with, with injuries as well? So uh, here I was. I did, an, I did an elimination diet, actually. I removed uh, gluten and dairy. And I was astounded by the results that uh, like my body would just function completely differently from removing those two foods for just 30 days. I, I eliminated a lot of stuff like, like low mood, irritability, impatience was a big part of me before I did that. And a lot of like emotional instability, all that kind of stuff just went away when I didn't eat those foods. Uh, my injuries started healing a lot easier. And it really was just, I guess, the start for, for what I've now learned about food and how powerful it can be. That's incredible how a small shift like that can really set you on a path for the rest of your entire life. And I mean, now to hear you are in this career path you've chosen trying to help other people overcome those very same barriers uh, you've had. If you could boil down your experience going through that, that transition from Hutterite boy to now the nutrition expert of Canada... What would you say was the single most important lesson you learned? All right, that's that's a good question. The single most important lesson I've learned so far. I I think I'd have to say this, like it it it's really like learn how to access your intuition. Like there's all these ideas, there's all these programs, there's all these gurus out there and especially when we're injured or in a bad in a bad position, we're we're looking, we're asking around and we're we're trying to we're trying to find find the answer, but I've I've spent so much time and so much money and and just like trying this because it was it was uh, built up so well or it worked so well for someone else. But if it wasn't something that was truly like from my heart, like my it wasn't quite for me, then uh, it it either didn't work or is by no means sustainable. So I think the biggest lesson is just learn a little bit about yourself and learn who who you are and what why your body really wants and needs or where you even come from you've given us a great snapshot into who you are and where you came from how you got to be the man you are today what i'm really curious about though is what first got you on the path of living a primal lifestyle what turned me towards simplifying my way of life was basically just the confusion of too much going on like what what really is the answer and around that time i I had discovered, I actually found a guy named Mark Sisson. 
he was on a Joe Rogan podcast. Someone told me for the 217th time to uh, hear a Joe Rogan podcast. So finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to it. So I, uh, I turned, tuned into one of his podcasts and he was interviewing Mark Sisson. And Mark Sisson, he is the founder of the Primal Blueprint and he has the 10 laws of the Primal Blueprint. And that's when I first uh, discovered those and, and uh, you know, adapted them and starting living by them. And uh, it really brought me back to like the basic, it brought me back to the basics. And I realized that my body uh, really does work <laughs> so much better when we go back to those, those principles of how we used to live for thousands of years. That's really, really interesting. In your mind, what does living primal mean? So living primal means to, uh, to have all, all the basics of what we did back then. So moving around, getting out in the sun, playing, using our heads, uh, communicating, eating real food, being able to, you know, fast for a couple hours or a couple of days as well, in- engaging in like play activities and um, competitive activities in the way we, we would have used to live more back then and, and also being sustainable like building building stuff for ourselves um getting our own food as opposed to like buying it processed or even even as far as hunting on our own and planting our own gardens and this kind of stuff so so really i guess having more control of what happens around you um not that it uh that like kind of the flight or fight thing or or the survival thing we we needed that back then we we needed we needed to to know like what was around us what our surroundings are and what our surroundings were doing to us which uh we we seem to kind of be forgetting in in this day and age so uh that and as well as having community like uh being part of a community and having having your people having your tribe knowing knowing who your people are who the people that that build you up and the people that pull you down and being able to identify them and hang out with the right ones at the right time. You know, you hit a real important note there, being part of a community and part of a tribe. In the modern world, that's something that's been lost. We're, we, we live in a society where we're more connected than ever before, and yet we're less connected than ever before. And people have really lost touch with that sense of community. I'm so glad you said that. Listen, Thomas, it's been a lot of fun here today. We've had a great discussion, and I'm sure our audience is as intrigued as I am to learn more and really dive in on this podcast journey. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and I'm just so excited to learn more from you. Awesome. It's been an exciting uh, time sharing it with you and spending the time with you, and I look forward to uh, see where this is taking us. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been episode two with Thomas Kleinsasser of the Primal Canadians. We can't wait to talk to you again next week. Tune in next time for more Primal Conversations.